Welcome to the Access Church Podcast and our Sermon of the Week. Wherever you're joining us from, we hope that this message is an encouragement and a blessing to your life. Let me share just for a couple minutes this morning, and then we will we'll pick up on this um, next week. Is that all right? Sure, Zach. Matthew chapter 25, we're in a a teaching series on the subject of the kingdom of God, and so if you are a guest with us this morning, we appreciate you being here, and uh, our heart as a church is just to be kind of fluid and flexible with things, and uh, so hopefully uh, you have a great time while you're here with us today. Matthew chapter 25, we're going to pick it up in verse uh, 14 through 15 in a second. The last two weeks, we talked about uh, the kingdom of God. In week number one, we said that God's kingdom is not just a uh, present reality that we are to experience today, but that God's kingdom as well is, is a future reality to be hoped for. God's kingdom is the rule and the reign of God on the earth. We talked about that a lot of Christians are they're intrigued and they're fascinated as they read about the kingdom of God in the days of the Bible back in their day. They hope for the coming of Jesus where he will establish his kingdom here on the earth and they hope for that one day, but they miss the reality that you and I are to be kingdom-minded people today. And so we talked about last week, we talked specifically about what does the kingdom of God look like? We talked about its external growth, where the mustard seed grows, talking about the kingdom of God expanding and it, and it increasing. But then we also talked about leaven or yeast. It's the intensive growth, where God is not just expanding his kingdom. We see the rapid growth that's taking place around the world today, uh, but it's the intensive growth of what takes place in our lives, that yeast or leaven works quietly and it works silently and God's presence and his power is working in our lives many times uh, that way. This morning, uh, we'll, we'll kind of start off and then we'll pick up here uh, in Matthew chapter 25 and we'll talk about not when will the kingdom come or what will it look like, but it'll, we're going to talk for a few moments this morning about what is, what is my part in, in the kingdom of God as we see the parable of the gold bags talking about kingdom or responsibility. Let's start with verse 14 through 15. Jesus said, again, it. So what is it? Well, based on what he had previously talked about, it is the kingdom of God. It says, we'll be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his wealth. Everybody say wealth. Trusted his wealth to them. To one he gave five bags of gold, to another two bags, to another one bag, each according to his own ability, the Bible says. If you're reading the King James translation, you'll see the word talent that's used. The NIV speaks of gold bags. The message translation talks about responsibility or opportunity. This portion of scripture, I would say... uh, is not so much focused on the definition of what does a talent look like as much as it is the principle of what Jesus is talking about in this parable, which is an earthly picture describing 
a, a heavenly reality or a kingdom reality. So it says that Jesus gives these bags, the man, to one he gives five, to another two, to another one. And then the Bible says that he went on his journey. So I want to talk for a few moments about this, and then we're going to continue uh, next week as we kind of introduce this uh, this morning. So we have this parable of the gold bags that are distributed in five to one, three to another, and then one to another. And I want you to see that the Lord, who is the master here, or the man here that the Bible describes, says that he calls his own servants. Everybody say, own servants. This is important as you read uh, this portion of scripture, because the word that's used here for servants is the word that the Bible uses as a bondservant. A bondservant. He's calling his bondservants. These are the people that are supposedly to be his own. They're supposedly uh, to be faithful. They're supposedly to be responsible to the things that they're entrusted with. But they are the master's possession. We see this language used later in Romans chapter 1 verse 1 where Paul describes himself in the same word. He says that he's uh, an apostle or a bondservant set apart for the gospel in Romans chapter 1. Now, in, in this particular culture, in the eastern lands, in, in ancient times, slaves were workmen whose profit belonged to the master. And so why did, why did the master call them to himself? Well, this is symbolic of you and I coming to Christ. That primarily, as you read through the New Testament, you read through the Gospels, when Jesus calls the disciples, primarily he calls them uh, to be with him. It's that restored relationship that was broken, as you can trace through the, the old covenant, that relationship that was broken because of sin. And now Jesus calls you and I to himself, and he restores you and I back into relationship. And so now he is calling them back and now he's entrusting them with various things that the Bible calls talent or gold bags or opportunities and responsibility. He in essence says, I have these things in which I'm trusting you. It's my property to look after and to to care after. This certainly isn't Jesus entrusting to them the earth. This isn't, you know, here's the earth. Don't forget to recycle and drive, you know, energy efficient vehicles. Well, what is the property of the Lord? Well, the property of the Lord are the souls of men. In essence, Jesus is giving them the mission. And the mission involves responsibility. It involves opportunity that's before him. The point here is that each and every person was given a special talent or gold bag that represents a variety of different things, responsibility, it could represent a measure of opportunity, it could represent uh, resources and so forth. But the principle is that no one is left out. For when Jesus calls you and I to himself, nobody is left out and we're entrusted with a variety of different things. It says, each according to his ability. Now, when you read this parable, you've got to put yourself within the text. It's more than just a story about a man or a master and servants, but you and I are entrusted with things that come from God, and we are 
in the story. And it's for, far more than a measure of money. You know, I've heard this story talked about over the years, and it's, you know, about money. And God has entrusted us a variety of different, you know, uh, assets and wealth, and we need to manage and steward those things well. And that is a principle that I think you could walk away from this text, and it would be accurate. I've also heard this text talked about where talent means talent, like today. You know, there are some of you that are gifted in X, Y, and Z, and others in X, Y, and Z, and and it's all about the, and that would be an accurate interpretation. But when I read this story, I think the word talent is a a bigger, uh, it's a bigger word than you and I would try to think. It's more than just money, where we're trying to increase offerings at the church. It's more than just talent and ability, and so we recruit help for, you know, whatever, This is an opportunity that you and I have to see the spiritual reality of what takes place when you and I place what we've been entrusted with into God's hands. If I were to give you a three by five card today, and I were to ask you to say, you know what, there's a lot of things that we're all good at in life, but what are you great at doing? There are a lot of opportunities that we have in life, but what are special opportunities that you have that you feel like God has entrusted to you? We all have responsibility, but as you assess your life, what are those areas you feel like of special responsibility as if God gave you that as a gift that you're entrusted to? Steward. Maybe it would you would write down on the card the answer to these questions. If somebody were to say, I've always been impressed when you do what? What would you write down on that card? Or you have the unique ability to do, what would you write down on that card? Or you seem to come alive when you, what would you write down on that card? You're so passionate about what would you write on that card? Or you always notice the needs of, what would you write on that card? You and I are all entrusted with a variety of different things. And in this parable, everybody has special abilities, special opportunities, and maybe it's just a passion. I think a lot of times in life that passion that you and I have as a Christian is directly connected with problems that God has intended and equipped you to solve. What is your area of passion? What would you write on, on that card? You see the opportunities to use your abilities. You know, when you look at the, the life of the New Testament church, the early church, as it increased in size, the Bible says that they started to sell the variety of different things to care for one another's. The apostles focused on preaching and others were organizing the distribution of, of poor to others. Each person had a necessary part to play in the life of the local church. And we see that model in the book of Acts. But I've also said to you that the kingdom of God, I don't believe, is a picture of simply the local church. That God's kingdom is much bigger, it's much more vast. The church does play a role in the kingdom, but it is not the kingdom in and of itself. 
So each of us play a part, I believe, in the local church, but I also believe that you and I each have a special role and responsibility in the kingdom, for that's far greater than a local church. And so I want to pick it up here and talk for a few moments. Some of you guys are in, in, in areas of leadership, whether you're, whether you're a leader in the church or a leader outside of the church, and you have a variety of different giftings that you would say come from God, and you see those giftings being used in your areas of leadership. Others of you, you're maybe not, I think you could make a case that every Christian is a leader, but maybe you would look at yourself and, and you don't necessarily see yourself as somebody that has had kind of that leadership makeup or ability, and yet you are uniquely and specially gifted uh, by God. You know, Jesus was not, I believe, sharing this parable to, to staff the local church. I don't believe he was sharing this parable to increase giving. When Jesus challenges you and I with something in his word, it's always for our good. As you read the Bible, as you study the Bible, and you see stories like this, it's always, you know, pick it up and turn to Matthew chapter five, 25 and say, Jesus, what are you teaching me for my good out of Matthew chapter 25? You know, the unequal distribution here uh, of, of the goods is something that would be very difficult and challenging to swallow as a millennial. Uh, those of you that grew up in the 1980s and you were born in 1980 plus through 2000, you grew up in a culture and a society that wanted equality, right? Uh, from everything from parking spaces to, you know, everything. It's all about equality. And yet we don't necessarily see that in the kingdom, But there's this idea of God's sovereignty here that illustrates that God does as he pleases on his own according to his goodness and so forth. I read recently that it said God never bestows great things on men until he first tries them by little things. Look at verse uh, 15 through 17 and then we'll, we'll close in a few moments. You'll see on the screen, it says, kingdom responsibility is not a matter of size, but stewardship. Kingdom responsibility is not a matter of size, but of stewardship. And he, Jesus, goes on his journey. Where does he go? He ascends to the heavens to sit down at the right hand of the Father. The man represents Uh, Jesus, and he's calling his disciples to himself or calling servants that are representative of people that are professing believers. And it says, who received five bags of gold, he went at once and put his money to work and he gained five more bags. So also the one with two bags of gold gained two more. But the man who received one bag went off, dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money. The Lord entrusts to these guys various forms of gifts, abilities, and responsibilities. We see in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 7 through 8, you'll see on the screen. But to each one of us, uh, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. This is why he says, when he ascended on high, he took many captives and gave gifts to his people. So in 
God's kingdom, we're entrusted with a variety of different things, and small is never insignificant. We talked about that last week. Small is never insignificant in the kingdom of God, and even small things that God entrusts to us are never small. Someone receives five, another two, and someone one. Now, a talent is a measure of of weight that's used in biblical times. It represents approximately 80 pounds. And I want you to see this here. And I won't bore you with too much of the calculations, but a talent of, of gold. Um, the average day's wage, when you take and you kind of configure the talent, you look at a measure of gold, you look at an average day's wage, you multiply that by the equivalent of what scholars believe. This represents approximately 20 years of somebody's labor. So the one that is entrusted, one talent, is actually the equivalent, most scholars believe it's approximately $500,000 to a million dollars that this one individual is entrusted with. Now, when you really think about this for a moment, if I were to pull uh, a couple of you aside as you left church today, let's say you're walking out in the parking lot, you're walking with your spouse and I kind of pulled you aside and I I said, I want to share with you something. There was somebody that was in church this morning that was praying and he felt impressed by the Lord to gift you something. And I reach out in my pocket and I say, well, I, I didn't really look at this, but he said to give it to you because you were the person that he felt like he was to gift this to you with. So I give you a check. And you've got enough class, you know, that you don't just pull it out and read it right in front of me, right? So you're just kind of like, okay, thank you, you know? So you get to the car, you shut the door, and you open that check, and it's a $500,000 check. You're thinking, I like this church, right? You're thinking, praise the Lord. You're thinking, blessing from God, right? Is there anybody here that would open that check and say, those stingy people at Access, seriously? I mean, what's 500000 going to do in today's economy? I mean, nobody would be thinking that. Let's say, same story, I'll switch it up. You're walking out of church with your three kids. And as you're leaving, I come up and I say to the parents, I say, you know, I was talking to somebody in church and he, he just felt impressed by the Lord to do something for your kids. And so I say, Matthew, you know, here's, here's a check for you. Susie, here's a check for you. Johnny, uh, here's a check for you. Go ahead and open them. So Johnny opens the check and there's $500,000. Susie opens the check and there's, you know, $250,000. And Ashley opens the check and there's a $1.5 million check. All of a sudden, things are a little different. Matthew's saying, what's up? What's wrong with me? What did she do that he loves and he seems to have more of a sense of approval for her? Why him and not me? What about me? I thought, you know, everything was supposed to be equal. Why did one receive more and and another less? Welcome to the game of comparison. The same gift in different contexts. One is a blessing from God. 
In a different context, it's almost like a diss. It's almost like a curse. Like, really? Why would you do that to them and not me? The danger of comparison. The idea here is Jesus is sharing this story where one receives five, another, you know, three, and another one is, is not the idea, is not that, um, you know, someone is loved and somebody's more valued and, and esteemed by God. The idea is that nobody's left out. Everybody is blessed by God with something. And I think what happens a lot of times with our talent, with our abilities, with our opportunities, with our responsibility, the things in life that God has entrusted to us, we start comparing ourselves with ourselves. And you're always going to find somebody that has more uh, than you do, right? Whether it's finances, whether it's opportunity, whether it's influence, whether it's natural ability or so forth. And yet, I think very few of us would look at this story and say, I'm the five-talent person, of course, right? I mean, nobody reads this story and says, yep, I'm the five-talent person. I think typically we look at ourselves and we say, I'm, I'm the one that has two. I'm the one that has one. And yet, that one talent represents an incredible amount of potential and giftedness. So here's what, what happened as I was studying this the, this week, as the worship team comes back. Because I do, it's kind of odd, you know, as I prepare different, different uh, weeks for different things, and I prepare in different ways. This week, I had a break right in the middle of my notes. And I thought I, I was going to necessarily preach, um, I thought I was going to share this all at once, but I had a specific break here in my notes and, and here's what happened as I was preparing and praying this week. And I don't want to over-spiritualize something. And for those of you that have been here before, you know I, I usually don't do things that are really out of the ordinary. But as I was studying this this week and as I was praying, I felt like the Lord just pinpointed a very, very specific area. And I want to pray about that today. So would you close your eyes for a minute as Aaron begins to play? I read a story a while ago. And then I'll draw this to a, con- a conclusion as we pray for married couples in a minute. Something's value has very little to do with what it has, the raw material, how something was built or what it possesses. Something or someone's value is directly correlated to the price another is willing to pay. Somebody once paid $21,000 for an old plaque-covered toothbrush as I was looking this up because it belonged to Napoleon. They say that Hitler's old beat-up vehicle sold for $150,000. Winston Churchill's old beat-up desk, a nasty old pipe for C.S. Lewis, handwritten sheets of music by Beethoven sold for hundreds and hundreds of thousands of times their original value. 
extraordinary value is placed upon ordinary things because they belong to somebody important and someone was willing to pay an extravagant price because value or something's worth is not determined by what is seen but the price in which someone is willing to pay. That whether or not you're a Christian here, if you've been a Christian 50 years or you're here today, And you're not a believer. Jesus gave his life to set your value so high that there is nothing in this world that could ever outbid what he did for you. The Bible says that he became sin for us so that you and I can become the righteousness of God in Christ. That Jesus loved you so much that he gave his life for you. There's not one person in this room that's insignificant. There's not one person in this room that you look at your talent, your ability, or the things that God has entrusted you with, and those things are insignificant. I'd rather pastor a church with 50 one-talent people that get it than to have 100 five-talent people that look at their own strength and ability and say, I've got it going on. This story has very little to do with what the talent is. It has everything to do with what God does through the lives of people that release what they've been entrusted with and they see the multiplication that takes place. And here's what I felt like the Lord's challenged me with as I was reading this this week. As this happened, I just, God is my witness. I just began to sob on my desk. I just put my head down. And here's what I felt like the Lord said to married couples. And I wrote a bit of this down. The Lord would say to you this morning that there are couples, married couples, that the Lord will want you to know that your husband or your wife is a treasure that is equally loved and valued by God. Yet you have varying amounts or degrees of giftedness within your home. You are to not compare these gifts from God. But you are to walk in an understanding that these are complementary, not comparative gifts. That miracles will happen in your marriage as you see your areas of giftedness, not in competition, not in comparison, but as complementary that God has brought you together and he's complimented your gifting so that when you step out in ministry, when you take uncomfortable steps of faith, that your talents will join together just as one man would join together with another, that your talents and your abilities will complement one another and that the Lord has intended these things to draw you closer to one another in, in marriage. That he would say, you are my son, you are my daughter, and you are privileged to have complimentary gifts from a God who loves, values, and treasures you both. And I really felt like, as I was praying this week, and I just put like two big breaks in my notes, 
that there were going to be people here today, married couples, that up to this point, or maybe it's just been something recently, that a wife has looked at a husband or a husband has looked at a wife and they have seen their spouse as somebody that was a five-talent person and they perceive themselves to be a one-talent person. And they're saying, God must love them or God must want to use them more than me. And the Lord would say to you, if you've been entrusted with one, it's 500 plus thousand dollars. Don't diminish the calling and the gifting and the ability that I've given you. That that gift is to compliment your spouse in a very unique and special way. If you were both entrusted with the same degree, it would cause competition. But now there's almost like a spiritual synergy that takes place in your relationship. And you need to get secure enough in your marriage that you see those giftings as things that God has intended to bring the two of you together. Would you stand with me? I'm going to ask Ashley to come up as well. We're going to pray together for married couples. This is something, hear me, this is something we got to get right, okay? Because here's the thing, I hope you know from us as pastors, I don't believe the church is the the kingdom of God where it's like this pastor sits on his heavenly throne and does everything. No, our role as pastors is to equip the saints, Ephesians says, for the work of the ministry. One of the most effective ways that that happens is when you and a husband and a wife, you begin to realize that God has brought you together. He's complemented your giftings to draw you closer to one another so that you can take steps of faith together knowing that God has brought you and complimented you together in your relationships. Would you grab the hand of a spouse that's here today? We want to take a minute and just pray for you today that the Lord would break this comparison trap. Maybe it's just a husband that you look at the giftedness of your wife and you just assume, well, she's going to be the leader relationally with God because she's more gifted than I am. And the Lord wants to break that this morning. We're going to pray for you today. You want to pray? Yes, Lord. Yes. Thank you, Father. Yes, Lord. Thank you, Lord Jesus. For every gift and talent that is represented in this room today, Lord, married or unmarried, Father, you have gifted these people. And Lord, you're pleased with them when you look down upon them. And we thank yes, you, Lord. Jesus, for what you've given us. And Father, right now we do uh, break the spirit of comparison within marriages. Father, we just pray that as as couples in this room um, might have to have hard conversations or open communication, God, I pray, Lord Jesus, that you would be a part of that, Father. And I pray, Lord, that... uh, Their love for you would be rooted so deep, Lord Jesus, that they would not be swayed, Father, and that as you uh, help them to communicate, Lord Jesus, that the power of comparison that's been present would be broken in Jesus' name. Father, that they would begin to be able to compliment one another in their giftings. Lord, we thank you for what you've given us, God. May we not take it lightly. 
Lord, thank you for every person represented here who, who may not be married, Father. We just pray yes, as well, Lord, that you would come and yes, that you would Lord. break the power of comparison in their mind and in their life, yes, Lord, whether it be with a coworker or another individual that's in their life, God. I pray in Jesus' name that jealousy would be broken, that comparison would be broken, Father, and that you would raise them up to know that they are a child of yours, that you have gifted them, that you have blessed them with abilities, Father, that you have entrusted them, Lord Jesus, to do your work. And Father, I pray that as they grow in that, Lord Jesus, that they would gain a confidence in who they are in you, Lord Jesus. Yes, Lord. Thank you, Father, Lord. The Lord's been stirring a word in me, and um, I'm going to reserve part of it, but um, I can at least speak this part today since it goes along with what Zach has been sharing, and that word is engaged and engaged, and as he has said, he really feels impressed that married couples are here, and um, they need to see it as complimentary. When you are engaged with someone, um, you're working towards something good. There's a, there's a good day coming, and you're all in. You plan, you prepare for that big day and that moment so that you can begin to build a lifetime together. And some of you need to get back to that engaged state of mind in marriage, that you're all in together, that you're giving it a good effort daily, some of you see it as though you've reached that kind of, that big moment in your marriage and life, and then the, you just kind of have to accept things as it is. But God's saying, no, I want you to be engaged again, engaged in one another. Hmm. And the thing of your, the, the interests of your spouse. And as you begin to um, complement each other in that, and you're both all in, you're going to see um, beautiful things unfold in your marriage. So let the Holy Spirit continue to stir in you those things that he's gifted you with, but at the same time, begin to draw those giftings out of your spouse and complement those things and encourage one another and build each other up. Do you receive that today? Yeah. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you for joining us this week. If you would like to further connect with us, you can find us online at scaccesschurch.com or on any social media platform. Have a blessed week.